All human beings long for a God they can touch and feel. We all long for it because we're physical people, but we're also spiritual people. I, I had the privilege of going to Nepal a number of years ago. And as we were touring around the city of Kathmandu, we came past this, I don't remember if it was a corner, but it was a main busy street. And there was this little, almost looked like a little uh, gazebo thing built up off the street and it had a little roof and it had a glass enclosure. And the missionary told us that's where they have a little girl that is supposed to be the embodiment of one of their gods. And they literally come and worship this girl that they put in this cage or this display case. And people come by and leave gifts and pray to her because she is supposed to be the embodiment of a God. There are no gods but the one true God. And anything that manifests as another God is demonic. And unfortunately, according to the missionary, many times the young girl that was chosen, as they call it, the Kumari, as she was chosen to be, and it was an honor to these families. Many times there was demon possession involved and manifestations of various sorts that, of course, sold the bill of goods, sold this as a manifestation of a God. But here's the good news. Our God was incarnated in the body of a little baby and his name was called Jesus because he would bring salvation to his people and to the world. Incarnation. That means in flesh. I covered some of this last week. But in flesh. God in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. He limited himself to a body while on earth. And I believe, according to what I see in scripture, he still has a body, but he is no longer limited by his body. His omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, none of that is limited by the body that he has, but I believe he still has nail scars in his hands and he still manifests in a body and yet he can manifest himself in body individually to all seven and a half billion people in the world at once if he so chooses. But the reality is this. He still represents us and he still identifies with us though he's not limited by a body. So there's just got a couple of points I just want to make really this morning. And the first one is this. As a human, Jesus eternally represents you. Anybody ever been in court? No, don't raise your hand. Ever had a lawyer? Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and represents humanity forever. Reminds me of the sandlot. Anybody ever seen sandlot? Forever. I want to just read scripture to you. Here you go. Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to completely those who come to God through him, meaning Jesus, because he always, say always, always, he always lives to intercede for them. He didn't just intercede for you and I when he was nailed to the cross. He's still interceding for you. 
He's sitting at the right hand of the Father representing your need, representing your heart, representing your interest, representing at the right hand. That's the hand of authority of God Almighty. He is sitting there with nail scars in his hands, basically saying, in my imagination, I got them covered, Father. I got this covered. Paid for it. Done. Paid in full. Amen? Hebrews 8, 8, 1. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. What does a priest do? He represents the people to God. Amen? What does a prophet do? Represents God to the people. A priest represents the people to God. And Jesus is forever seated at the right hand of the majesty of heaven as high priest representing you and me. Finally, Romans 8, 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also for us. I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't know quite what that looks like. For me, intercession is praying to God, right? But Jesus is God, but he's also at the right hand of God. And this, these scriptures say he is interceding. At the very least, we need to understand this. He represents you. Your needs, your desires, your destiny, your welfare is covered by Jesus. Some of you are not nearly excited enough about that. But he not only represents us as a human, he identifies with us. And for some of us, this touches a little more of an emotional note. He identifies with us in feeling and experience. Feeling what we feel, experiencing what we experience, eternally identifying with us. Jesus went through the whole deal, man. He went through puberty, yes. He, went, he's, he knows what it's like to sweat and bleed and hurt and be discouraged and be tired and be hungry. Yeah, he, and don't get hungry on me. I'm not gonna go long, I promise. But, he got hungry. The scripture says he did. What was he doing? He was identifying with us. I know I identify as. No, I'm not talking about as. I'm talking about identify with. He identified with me in all of the ups and downs and ebbs and flows of life. All the disappointments. He identified with me even in temptation. So let's look at the scripture again. Hebrews chapter 2. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are, I don't know, uh, that's my mistake there, I don't know, uh, who are, yeah, who are, who are human. I don't know, I have to go to the scripture and have to go back to my Bible and look. The next one is important too. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Say every way. Every way. 
has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. I can't quite get my head around the fact that Jesus was tempted to sin. It's hard for me to get my head around that. All I know is that's what the Bible says. And I know the scene in the desert when he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and the devil comes to him and hits him with the three big ones. But I want to tell you something. Do you realize that was not the end of Jesus' temptation? It says in Luke, after that scene where Luke recounts his temptation in the wilderness with those three big temptations, it says he left him until an opportune time. What, what does that mean? It means that the devil never quit trying. And Jesus never quit winning. Jesus never sinned. Jesus held strong. But my point is this. Some of you sitting here this morning, you are asking yourself the question, when will this end? When will I win? When will I not have another battle to have to fight? When, when, when? Will I ever get over the top? Will I ever come to the place I don't struggle with this or that? I'm telling you that Jesus understands. He's been there, done that, got the shirt, got the scars, but he also has the win. Why? Because he can identify with you. Even in a trial that seems to go on and on and on and on. He can identify with you. He knows it from the inside. He doesn't know it as an omniscient one. Does God know everything? Yes, he does. But how many of you, you, you would agree with this statement? That it's one thing to know it in your head. It's another thing to go through it. Anybody? In your mind, you may be under, you may be able to understand what it's like, let's say, to be a mom who can't have a baby. But first of all, if you're not a woman, it's really tough to go there. But even if you are a mom and you haven't had trouble having babies, it may even be tough for you. You may understand it in your head. You may can slice it and dice it psychologically. But you don't know it from having been there. I can, I've got a great imagination. And I tell people often that are going through grief or they're going through trials, I, 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 I have learned not to say, I know how you feel. Anybody ever heard somebody say that to you at a moment when you knew in your heart, there's no way you can know how I feel. And by the way, we've got people that I know were in Sunday school this morning that today or yesterday was the day that their spouse died. I'm talking about several years ago. People that, if you're a regular part of this family, you know who they are. One of them lost her husband on this day four years ago. And another one lost his wife on this day, I think, three years ago. I don't know how they feel. I hurt for them. I hurt for them. But I don't know how they feel. Not exactly. I have a good imagination. I can go there in my mind. I can think of all the ways that that would be horribly difficult. And even it, 
immobilizing. But I cannot say with conviction, I know how they feel. But Jesus can. Jesus can. He knows how you feel. He knows your pain from the inside, from having been there, done that. Not just from his omniscience, I know everything because I'm God. No, I know this one because I took on your flesh and I walked in your shoes and I felt it. I experienced it. I knew the, the bite of it. I knew that gut-wrenching emotion that goes with what you're walking through. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. There are times... Even if somebody went through something almost exactly like you've gone through, they still can't say with complete accuracy and conviction, I know exactly how you feel. Because you, they're not you. And they don't have the past and history you've got. They have a different set of tools. They have a different set of, of filters that they're experiencing this with. But he does. He knows. He knows. And sometimes, that's the only thing that can get you through. Amen? Amen. Some of you have been there. That's the only thing that can get you through is knowing he knows and knowing he hurts with you, and knowing he understands, and knowing he's there, and knowing he'll never leave you or forsake you, and knowing he represents you for the Father. A pastor named Matt Proctor, I don't know this man, I, 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 I found this story, but it really resonated with me, so I just want to read it to you. Matt Proctor says, my five-year-old Carl and my three-year-old Conrad love it when I dress like them. After they put on jeans and a blue t-shirt, they'll come ask me to wear blue jeans and a blue t-shirt. They'll survey me, survey themselves and say, look, dad, same, 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 same. For my birthday, Carl bought me a North Carolina blue mesh shirt because he has a North Carolina blue mesh shirt. So we could be same, same. When I play living room football with my boys, Conrad will not let me play standing. So scary and towering above him. He insists I get on my knees at eye level. He puts his hand on my shoulder and says, there, see dad? Same, same. Same, same. When Conrad fell and scraped his leg, he pointed at my scab that I had suffered by working on the house. He showed me his scab and said, Hey, Dad. Same, same. They like it when I enter their world. In the incarnation, God was saying to you and me, Same, same. Same, same. He got down at eye level and experienced what it's like to be tired and discouraged, hurt and bleed. On the cross, Jesus even found himself praying a psalm of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
This reminds me of a song we sing. We just sang it the last time we did communion just a few weeks ago. He's a God who weeps. He's a God who bleeds. You know what that says to me? Same, same. Same, same. Christ is with the world. See, the name of this series is The Wonder of God With Us. Christ is now with the world through us, though. He was incarnated as a human being, and now He wants us to be the incarnation of Him to the world. Oh, we'll never be a God. We're not like the Kumari girl. We're not attempting to be a God. But here's what we are. We are called His body. We are the representation of Jesus to this world. And He wants to incarnate His heart, His motives, His values, His attitudes, His perspectives, His truth. He wants it to be incarnated in every one of us. He wants to demonstrate His beauty and grace and goodness through us. You know what? When I was sitting in front of the legends on Friday night, I sat about from here to that wall from the main entrance. I just sat on one of those little planter things and just was praying. On this side, a guy walked up and started shouting. He was telling them this is an abomination. This is against the scriptures. Man shouldn't, you know, dress like a woman and all that. And everything he was saying was true. But as he continued yelling at the people in line... He started saying, you're, you're just sticks that are bound for the fire and you're going to hell. And, and he was probably right about that. But then he started calling them dogs. My heart was just grieved. I was there praying that God would open those people's eyes to the truth and to the love of Jesus. Because they need both. They need both. And I just kept praying. And there came a point where another, a couple came up and the police actually escorted them out. They went into the Papa John's next door and all the Papa John's employees were standing out in front of the shop watching the crowd going into this show. And I walked over and started talking to them. I said, what do y'all think about all that? And they said, well, you know, it's their thing or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, I want you to know. I believe what they're doing is twisted. It's against scripture. It's against God's design and that it's destructive. But I'm not here to yell at them. I'm here to pray for them. And I said, God loves them. And one guy said, yeah, they're human beings. I said, absolutely they are. They're human beings that Jesus died to save and save them from that confusion. Why am I saying that? we got to stand for truth, folks. We don't need to back up one bit from the biblical standard for human sexuality and gender identity. We don't need to back up one inch. And I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I only saw four or five other people out there besides our people that were praying or doing whatever. That includes the ones yelling at them and calling them dogs. But you know where we really need to stand up and speak up? It's, it's at the break room at work. It's in the gym. It's at the grocery store. It's at school. 
It's in the office cubicle. That's where when this stuff's talked about, we need to take a stand and say that is destructive and twisted. It doesn't please God, but it doesn't please God for a reason. It doesn't please God because it doesn't work. It's destructive and it leaves people empty and there's a better way. And God loves everybody that's struggling with that stuff. And he has the solution you're looking for. We've got to be able to have that conversation in the private conversations. Would I love to have seen a, a hundred believers out there praying and, 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 and uh, yes. I'll tell you where we can make a difference. It's in those conversations. It's daring to speak up and do it in love. But we were called to be the expression of God's heart to this earth. After Jesus rose from the dead, ascended bodily back into heaven, ever to sit interceding for us at that moment, and when the Spirit descended on the church, we became the body of Christ. Got a couple of scriptures there. I know, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but now you're the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. God wants to make an appeal through you today, this week, on the next two or three weeks leading up to Christmas. God wants to make His appeal through you to come to the Savior, to see the beauty of the Christ, to be able to experience joy to the world and peace on earth. That's what He wants. He wants to be incarnated in us, in our attitudes, in our heart. He wants us to be His representative to the world because we represent Christ. We're called to be like Jesus and we're called to do like Jesus. Why don't you just look at somebody beside you and say, he's talking about you. He, he, he's calling you to be like Jesus. and do. You say, I can never be like Jesus. Oh, yes, you can. The Holy Spirit is not sent just to do miracles and all of that. He is sent to transform us from the inside out one day at a time so that we will grow continually in becoming more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. Say, so what is like Jesus? Look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, I think it is. But he's not only called us to be like Jesus, He's called us to do like Jesus. Why? Because we are the only Jesus some of the people in our community will ever see. You say, that's a heavy burden. Look, let's all just get real. And not too many here, including me, that are near enough like Jesus. Can we all just agree on that? Can you say amen? amen? You know what that means? It means I need to be on my knees every day crying out to heaven and say, change me. Change me. Saturate me with your love. Saturate me with your joy, your peace, your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness, your patience, your gentleness, your self-control, your humility, your courage. Saturate me. 
because I can't make me like Jesus. Discipline alone will not do it. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. My discipline is throwing myself at the feet of Jesus every day and crying out with desperation and faith that he will do something in me today that will move me one step closer to Christ-likeness that I might be able to be a better representative of him in the world today. I heard a speaker this week refer to a mural in the Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. He said he had gone over there to entertain the troops or something and as he was leaving the airport, there were stairs you went up, back and forth, the landing up, up. And right before you get onto an airplane, there's a huge mural. And the mural, I've got a picture of it, I think. Yeah, come on, show me. You may not be able to read the writing, but it says, this is a tribute to all who have fallen during Operation Enduring Freedom. Live a life worthy of their sacrifice. I don't know about you, but that, that grips me. What am I saying to you about being Christ representative? I'm saying, let's don't forget what it cost him to represent us that we might be able and willing to continually persist in putting ourselves in the place of grace and crying out for transformation by the Spirit from the inside out so that we could live a life worthy of His sacrifice. One more story. Renee, if you would come to the piano, please. Lee Eclove tells this story about a person and people who had Christ incarnated through their actions and attitudes. It says, people came early one Christmas Eve for the 11 p.m. service at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian in New York City. Among them was a recovering alcoholic, six months sober, who slipped into the 11th row. This was his first Christmas since having lost his family. A family of four sat down two rows in front of him. Seeing them together was crushing. He decided he couldn't handle it. He had to have a drink. As he moved from the sanctuary to the narthex, he ran into Pastor Thomas Toole. Jim, where are you going? The pastor asked. Oh, I'm just going out for a scotch, Jim replied. Jim, you can't do that. The pastor responded. He knew Jim was a recovering alcoholic. Is your sponsor available? Jim replied, it's Christmas Eve. My sponsor's in Minnesota. There's nobody who can help me. I just came tonight for a word of hope and I ended up sitting behind this family. If I had my life together, I'd be here with my wife and kids too. Pastor took Jim into the vestry to talk with a couple of other pastors. Then he slipped into the auditorium having no idea what to do. He whispered a prayer, God, give me a word of hope for Jim. He welcomed everyone and made a few announcements. Then he said, I have one final announcement. If anyone here tonight is a friend of Bill Wilson and if you are, you'll know it. Could you step out for a moment and meet me in the vestry? 
Some of you don't know who Bill Wilson, Bill Wilson is. He's the one that started Alcoholics Anonymous. A Christian, by the way. The program based on Christian principles and belief in a Savior. Now, is that what they are now? Not necessarily, but that's what they were then. So Bill Wilson is the personification of the whole recovery thing. So he said, if there's any friend of Bill Wilson, and if you are, you'll know it. Could you step out for a moment and meet me in the vestry? Bill Wilson, better known as Bill W., was a co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. From all over the sanctuary, women, men, and college students rose and made their way out. And there, he says, while I was preaching in the sanctuary about incarnation, said the pastor, the word was becoming flesh in the vestry. Someone was experiencing hope. Jim experienced the friendship of Jesus Christ through the people who had been touched by him and in whom he lived. I just want you to picture this. You got an alcoholic sitting in a seat watching a family with all the kids. They're all so happy and he's broken because he knows his addiction has destroyed his family and he's walking out the door to get a drink. And the pastor stops him. And then he makes an announcement. Anybody, you know Bill Wilson? I want you to meet me in the foyer. Somebody out here that needs you. Many people in this large church, I've seen the church, made their way to the foyer and poured love and encouragement on this one man who was struggling with an addiction and had lost hope. That's the body of Christ being the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ being incarnation. I, I just want to know, will you take that responsibility and opportunity seriously this Christmas season? You say, how do you want me to do that, Pastor? Oh, there's... A thousand ways. If you'll, if you'll get up in the morning and pray, God, give me an opportunity to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus, I promise you, He will give you one. I promise you, He will. It may just be somebody's face flitting through your mind. That's your opportunity. Get on the phone, call them. Send them a text. Say, I'm praying for you. You're on my mind. Will you receive the responsibility seriously to be the incarnation of Jesus to your world? If what I just shared is too fuzzy for you, let's make it concrete. I gave these out last week. There was one on every other seat here. This is an invitation to tonight's very merry Lake City Christmas. It's going to be 45 minutes of wonderful worship and I'm going to preach the gospel and give an invitation for people to accept Jesus as Savior. Did you give one to anybody? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty because I got more. You still got chance. You still got time. I've invited several people and gave them these invitations. Why do we do stuff like this? Yeah, we like to have fun. Yeah, we like to celebrate Christmas. It's, it's, it should be a celebration for God's people. 
We want to see people meet Jesus. Time is late. Stakes are high. And some people, can I just say this to you? There's probably some people in every one of our lives that have never come to church with us. For one reason, we just never made them feel like we really wanted them here. See, I've tried so many times. They're worth another try. They're worth another try. Your neighbor, you may not talk to them, but once a year, they're worth a try. It's worth a try. What have you lost? Hey, we're having this thing at church tonight. Very Merry Lake City Christmas. Kind of like worship. Man, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, hey, just, we'd love for you to come. I mean, we just, it, it just, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be inspiring. It's going to be, man, it's going to be so much love and joy going on there. You just, hey, you can go with me. Hey, I'll pick you up. Hey, you can ride with me. You can sit with me. I know that's not everybody's personality. It's not mine. It's my life's, but it ain't mine. She talks to people in Walmart all the time. Every restaurant, every shop, every store we go in, before, before we leave, she knows somebody's life story. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. I am not that guy. Can I tell you, I've had to make myself invite people because it's just not my personality. And this isn't just to get a crowd here. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to put tools in your hands to be the hands and feet and voice and heart of Jesus. That's all I'm doing. I want to give you tools. Giving the maker's child is one of those tools. This Christmas will just be another huge disappointment to more people than you can count. Unless somebody shows them the reason for the season. I want to be one of those people. I do. I want to be one of those people. I want you to bow your heads just for a minute. If anyone here today, you, you've never really surrendered your heart to Christ and you don't know the peace that passes understanding. You don't, you don't know the joy of sins forgiven. You, you, you're not confident you have eternal life. You don't have the hope of heaven. But you want it. And you are ready to say to Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you can take away my sin. I believe you are life. And I want you at the core of my being. I want that. I want it. I want it more than I want my way. I, I want it more than I want my dream. I want you to be at the control center of my being. I surrender. I repent. I turn away from my way and I turn to you. Anybody here, you've not done that, but you want to. I'm looking. Everybody's heads bowed but mine. Me and the Holy Spirit are looking. Anybody? Anybody? I guess that means we're all believers. That brings me to my next challenge, and it's this. I want to represent Jesus this Christmas.
in a way that will help somebody connect with him in a life-changing way. I want to be that person. Would you just stand to your feet right now? Stand to your feet. I want to be somebody that you'll use that way. I, I want to do that. I want to be the spark of hope. I want to be the pinpoint of light that lights up somebody's darkness. Somehow in the next two or three weeks, I want to be that person. Would you just raise your hands up to heaven as a sign of surrender and say, use me, Lord. Use me. Use me. Fill me with joy. Fill me with peace. Fill me with courage that it took you to take on human flesh and walk among us. Lord, may I, may I exude the love and the joy and the peace of Christmas in these next two weeks. Give me divine appointments, Lord. Moments where I encounter someone and I just know this is my moment to invite, to pray, to share love, to share truth, to share my testimony, my story, to offer service and kindness that I might represent you well in the coming weeks. God, alert me to those divine appointments, those divine opportunities. Prepare me for them. Prepare them for me. But above all, God, may Jesus shine through me this Christmas. Can you say amen to that prayer? Amen.